Welcome to the 75th episode of Two Writers Sling and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, a former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a contributor to The Athletic. The music you're listening to is, well, it's different than what you're used to here. The group is called Dream. The track is called He Loves You Not. But it dates back to 2000, when Bad Boy Entertainment brought forth the singing outfit of four girls. And it worked. The tune went gold and it peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard chart and Dream toured all over the world. But as her careers were starting to soar, one member, Melissa Schumann, was living what she refers to as a nightmare. Schumann says she was raped by a member of the Backstreet Boys, then ignored when she tried telling people about it. That information stuck with her for one and a half decades. It traumatized her for one and a half decades. Then finally, last year on her website, Melissa wrote a blog post titled, Don't Worry, I Won't Tell Anyone. And it grabbed me, and it shook me, and it led me to invite her here today to discuss courage in writing, and to discuss the power of a single blog post, to discuss the Me Too movement, and the ugliness of people who don't want to hear the uncomfortable truths about their heroes. This is real, and it's harsh, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's also really important. And it's right now, on Two Writers, Singing A. We're sitting here in Orange, California. You are an Orange, na- uh, excuse me, you are a California native. Yes. I'm not a California native. Right. You've never been here. I've never been here, no, but I've driven through Orange. Now all your <laughs> dreams are coming true as yes. you sit here. I love it. It's actually really cute. I know, it's a great town. I know, I love it. Right. So, um, all right, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Here's the story of why you are sitting across from me in Orange, mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. One and a half weeks ago, I took my daughter to a Backstreet Boy concert. Mm-hmm. And... My daughter's 15. It's kind of all a joke to her. Right. It's like a gag. Like she doesn't actually love the Backstreet Boys. She thinks it's just kind of funny to like a boy band from, you know, the late 90s, or okay, early 2000s. she's got a sense of humor. I yeah. Like that. We go to this show, and I write a blog post about it. And someone wrote to me and said, before you say anything great about the Backstreet Boys, you should read this mm. and, li- and send me the link to your blog post, which you wrote. Uh, it's called Don't Worry, I Won't, I Won't Tell Anybody. Mm-hmm. And you wrote it uh, November 19th, 2017. Yeah. I was thinking, like, this podcast is really about writing, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about the power of a blog post, right? Yeah. And that you're not a professional writer. Right. You're not a journalist. Nope. You don't have that many posts on your blog, no. which we need to talk about, because yeah. that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> but you wrote this post, and I'm just going to read the lead real quick, which is, uh, I'm about to share something that I've wanted to pretend never happened since I was 18, a burden I thought I'd have to carry for the rest of my life and suffer in silence. For those who do read this story, I know I asked, like any other victim of rape or assault, why I never came forward earlier, and the truth is I tried. A short amount of time passed after the incident, and I confided in my then-manager, Nils Larson, that I wanted to come forward. He heard me out and said he would do some investigation, and he would try to find me a good attorney, as I intended to press charges. He later informed me that my abuser, whose name I will disclose later in this article, had the most powerful litigator in the country. And uh, it's a long and, and very well-written post. Oh, yeah, like really good. Thank you. Um, and you're writing about Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm reading this two days after freaking going to a Backstreet Boy concert. Yeah. If only I'd read this five days, you know. Anyway, um, it was a, uh, like a, a, first of all, a very well-written blog post, but a really gutsy blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, and does kind of go to speak to the point of this sort of, like we have this power now because of the internet where you right. can write something yeah. and boom. So in a, lame opening question, why did you even do this? Oh, well, that's a really long, complex answer. Um, I was... Uh, ex- we got breakfast and coffee. Yeah, We're good. Know, we, got we got time. Okay, okay. Um, well, I was experiencing a lot of uh, physical PTSD symptoms with everything coming out with Harvey Weinstein and other allegations just constantly every single day. Um, I started to have physical manifestations that, in which I had never experienced before. Like I thought maybe there was something wrong with me. What do you mean like, by physical manifestations? Like my, I would have, tr- I would tremble. Like I'd pick up something and my hand would shake. Um, I just felt out of body disconnected. Is this why your phone is shattered? Yeah, from <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what happened. Yeah, right. I was shaking and dropped it. Um, yeah, and I, I had an optical mi- migraine at my grandmother's house, which I had never had before, like where, and that just freaked me out. I was like, what is going on with my body? And I realized that, you know, and I would cry a lot and have these panic attacks and uh, just like these outbursts. And I just got to a point where it was like, 
it was so suppressed in my body. It was like almost like my body wasn't allowing me to push it down anymore. Um, every single time I saw somebody speak out, it made me want to speak out, but I felt like I couldn't. And well, now why did you feel? Did you feel like you couldn't because so much time had passed? Was that part of it or no? No, it's just scary. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly scary. It's like, am I really going to do this and tell the world? It's, it's frightening. And um, but I just got to a point where I just couldn't. I couldn't live like that anymore. So when I wrote my bl- the blog, I didn't write it to release it. I wrote it as a way of therapy for me. Did you have a website at that point where you were blogging? Not really, yeah. but not a ton, right? But not a ton, no. Okay. <laughs> when I actually decided to do the blog, because I actually do comedy, it was supposed to be a, you know, a comedic blog, but I noticed that as I started to write, pain was coming out, mm-hmm. um, which I've now learned that that's actually quite common when you first start writing is that you kind of purge the pain and then the other stuff comes later so I'm looking forward to the other stuff yeah right right (laughs) but um but yeah so uh I I decided to write the blog for myself for my own therapy I had never it was the first time in my life I'd ever taken what was in my head and in my body and put it to paper and typed it out and read it and it was almost like like a mirror like I I wrote it and I read it and I remember thinking to myself this is disgusting it was the first time in my life I don't know how else to express it but to read my own experience as a 30 something year old woman and reflect on myself as an 18 year old young woman where I minimized it at that time you have with the dissociation and I mean I I minimized it so greatly and to to write it down and and put what I remember so vividly down on paper I, I was able to I guess see my experience differently than I ever had before um and I, I read it and I was just like this is disgusting nobody should ever have to read this this is disturbing I deleted it um I hope you saved it uh, no, and then you actually I, deleted it. I deleted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was like over. Never delete something you write. Well, Journalism dele- message yeah. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I deleted it, and then I wrote it again. Okay. Because at that point, I had spoken to a friend who was also a Weinstein survivor, who was was encouraging me because she, she knew about it at the time when I was assaulted because I contacted her, so she knew about it. Back when you were eighteen, or back whatever. Back when I was eighteen, age. yes. Yeah. Um, and so she was encouraging me to uh, to go and tell my story. Um, and so I had her support. Uh, and then finally, at that point, she was like, you know, trying to help me like talk to attorneys and see what my options were. Because I was scared. I didn't know what the legal ramifications of it would be. I just was really, really frightened. So, I mean, I guess long story short, I had a panic attack one night. Uh, and my husband was the one who was like we can't do this anymore. Like we're, you're releasing this. Like, so you wrote it, it for you. Yeah. You wrote it, didn't release it. Right. Deleted it, wrote did, it again. Well, I let it sit there. For and how I, long did you let it sit? With you I honestly, it's like all a blur, a uh, week, two weeks. I, I can't even remember. And your husband's like, you need to release this. My husband was just like, it's, I, I mean, the amount of panic attacks that I was having were, was chronic. Um, uh, and he was just like, no, you're not going to have this bottled up anymore. He's like, I'm with you. Whatever happens, I'm with you. And, and I was like, I can't press that publish button. And he's just like, you know, then I'll do it for you. And then, I mean, he asked my permission. Yeah, right. And I had to give him the, you know, the okay. Ugh. I, like, shake even, like, reflecting on it. And, yeah, he pressed the publish button, and then we went to bed. And then I woke up the next morning and thought, oh, my God, what did I do? Oh, my God, what did I do? And then I was checking on it. And um, because my intention was never for it to be to get go global like that was never my intention was never to blow the whistle it was to literally unburden myself of that story of that experience that I had in my body to just basically be like this is what happened it's out there I don't have to hide it anymore I don't have to act like everything's okay anymore and and I was actually really good for the like three, four days where nothing happened. And it was like, oh, great, great. You know, I, the comments that I had read at that point were were, were kind. Because it wasn't like you were getting a million readers on your website before you wrote this post. I wasn't even looking at right. it. I was so fearful of the ramifications. I had to, I literally like 
put it out there and then I walked away. I had to like- you didn't, Did you tweet the link out and stuff like that? I no? did tweet it, but this is the thing about Twitter with me. I didn't really use Twitter like that. I didn't know the power of Twitter. Like I've never tweeted anything prior that had has ever done what uh-huh. like, this blog post did. So it's not like I had like all these people that followed me on Twitter or even interacted with me on Twitter. So. I tweeted it, but I had also tweeted other blog posts that I had put out and never gotten that reaction. So, um, so yeah, I didn't, I did not anticipate what happened four days later. So what happened four days later? Ugh, so it's like stressful. You like to talk about Sorry. it. No, 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 no. It's okay. I'm happy to talk about it, but yeah. I tried buying you coffee. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. even take the coffee. <laughs> um, I was actually at home with my mom and I started getting an alert on my phone saying that my stats were booming on my WordPress. And my mom was actually taking off to go see visit my sister up in Sacramento. And I just looked at her and I said, oh my God, it's happening. Oh my God, it's happening. And I'm showing her and it's like, the stats are just booming, 250,000, 300,000. I'm just going, oh my God, oh my God. And my mom's leaving, and I've, we actually have a really dark sense of humor. So, like, we kind of joked about it. Like, this is this is what would happen. Like, mm-hmm. my mom would take off, and then I'm by myself, and right. I'm flipping out, and I need the support more than ever. And, um, yeah, and it was, I mean, all of a sudden, it was all over the news. It was trending. I stayed off the internet completely. Um, my dad actually took over my Twitter at that point. Um, to monitor everything because I, I could not deal with the magnitude of what was happening. Um, I sh- probably should have, but... What was your biggest... Um, actually, I was just thinking about this. Yeah. It may not even apply. Yeah. When I write... Um, when I write... When I've written articles mm-hmm. that I know are going to come up, inflict some pe- some negativity on people. Right, that's right, a, right. I'm always waiting. I'm always like, Shit. I know he's going to say something or something. Mm. Like, are you sitting there thinking at some point Nick Carter is going to be like, unle- or no, is that not even near your head at that point? Um, I mean, I was terrified by not knowing what was going to come next. It was just the feeling of being unknown or uh, the unknown. Um, I mean, I was dealing with so much physical. It's hard for me to even describe it. I wasn't even thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Like, because that already is very triggering for me and very negative so that certainly was not where my mind was at I mean I remember waking up in the middle of the night like shaking and like rocking in the bathroom because I was convinced that like I don't know how else to explain it like I was gonna be hurt I didn't know what was gonna happen um yeah it was it was not the greatest time of my life um I'm grateful that I did it um, cause now it being a year later, I've, there's been a lot of growth. There's been a lot of healing. I'm still working through all of it. Um, but that, what I did, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to a friend. If somebody feels inclined to do that, I would encourage it. But this kind of sort of idea that people, anybody would do or do what I did and go through what I did for fame or for recognition, I mean, it's not, no. no. Right. Like, no. Right. No. Was, well, I told you, I told you yeah. before we started recording, my wife's favorite line in your excellent blog post was, who wants to be rape famous or whatever? Who yeah, wants to be famous for being raped? Rape. It would be a weird thing to seek fame for. Well, name one person who's famous for being raped. Right. I mean, that is, and who wants that? Like, like that was my I, argument I during the Judge perfect. Kavanaugh thing. What, yeah, she's really coming forward because she wants a fame. Like, imagine wanting to be famous or being raped. I, like, don't, I just don't even understand what that means. Right. Like, it, that's so perplexing to me. Like, she, she's a freaking doctor. Right. Like, right. she's a brilliant woman. Right. Nobody wants to be known for a horrible traumatic experience in their life. Like, it's nobody wants to show their wounds to the world. Right. That doesn't feel good. What, what feels good is put, to put up a facade and to trot around like you got everything all together and everything's all nicely packaged and people think you're great and you know, you're only known for your work. And I mean, that to me is, that's what people, that's usually what people want to be famous for is like all the good things and the, the you know, 
their craft and their work, not an assault, right. not abuse. I don't want to be seen as a victim. Right. And I don't see myself as a victim. Actually, consider But then people would right ask, now. so the question I think would ask is, yeah. well, you didn't have to put it out there, so right. why, if you don't want to be known for something, why would you, like... Right. Was it to unburden yourself? Yes. Or was it That's what it was. 1,000%. Yeah. I, I didn't like lying about it. Like, I had to, you know... I never got to talk about it. You know, I was, even on the My2K tour, you know, we were working with groups. I mean, there is, it's a very small community of people. They were bringing people on to the My2K tour, doing cameos from different groups. What was that? That was when I, my group and I, we reunited in, in 2016, and we were on tour with like O-Town, 98 Degrees, and Ryan Cabrera. And they brought on, without us knowing, I mean, because they don't have to let us know, but like they would bring on like, Joey Fatone came on from uh, NSYNC. Sync, yeah. I never knew who was going to drop in. And I remember telling the girls like, I don't, I don't know what I, I don't know what I would do. I don't think I'd be able to perform. Like, I don't think I'd be able to function. Um, had somebody else showed up. Um, so I always had to like act like everything was fine or there was no issues and then there's there is that sort of um I you know I don't come from a powerful group like I, there's just nothing empowering about talking about that right. like I mean it is but it, not at the time like it's it's hard to navigate in any industry when you've been when somebody has more power than you yeah. you know there's people have allegiances to them you know, I don't, I don't have that kind of, I don't influence, like. I feel like, this is, I keep thinking this, and yeah. I feel like it's a question I haven't heard asked, right. and it's, it's a good, I yeah. think it's a good one, which is, what is it to carry that with you for all that, like, because yeah. people, the whole thing you heard during Kavanaugh was, oh, why now, why did you wait, blah, 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 yeah. and I feel like, I never really heard someone ask, like, what is it to carry this shit with you for nearly two decades, you know, what is it? Why is it, why would someone, you know, why, yeah. what is the bur- What is the is weight it, of it all? What does it oh feel God. like to carry it? Well, first off, we store trauma in our body. I mean, it's scientific. We, we store the trauma. I had no idea. So many people, and it's so funny, everyone has their two cents on when a survivor should speak out about abuse, yeah. and it's so judgmental, and it's so wrong. You're right. Um, it's like, when should someone date after they divorce, or when they lost a spouse, and, you know, people judge you for these things. Oh, yeah, right. but, I mean, you're talking about abuse. Right. Like, you're not entitled to, oh, you should have said something. Do you have any idea how painful it is? Like, it's it's embarrassing. Uh, we blame ourselves. Um, uh, there's gaslighting that comes afterwards. I mean, there's so, it's so complex, so, 15 years later, it when it happens, it almost feels like nobody wants to hear it. There's a, there's an element of that as well. Because well, a lot of people don't want to hear it. No, a lot of people don't. No. I think that people act like, well, why don't you say something? Well, I did. I told a lot of people. My family knew. My manager knew. Um, lo- and I told people over the years, am I going to shout it from the rooftops? Why would I do that? Why? 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 I was an 18-year-old young woman trying to make a name for myself in my passion rightfully that how could it like it's just the feeling of this is gonna damage do more damage than good like I've already been hurt I've already been violated and I don't want to give this person like I get more power over my future and I and I thought that by I thought the best thing to do at that point, I mean, given conversations with people in my life that I didn't really have any other option than to essentially like deal with it, Yeah. you know? And um, so you minimize it, you stuff it down. I mean, it's not like I thought about it every single day. I went to therapy um, and you just, you distance yourself from it as much as you can until basically it, pops up again like a big old monster and it all just kind of comes out. I mean, that's the thing with PTSD. It's like, all it takes is that one trigger. And I was triggered a lot in the past. Like what sort of thing would trigger you? Oh, whenever I drank. And if the topic came up or the group came up, um, I, I would just, yeah, it would just come pouring out. Like, 
a lot of people knew. Yeah. You know, it's it's just yeah, yeah. it's 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 horrific. I mean, I wish that people had more compassion of people with abuse because it's I just don't understand why we're criticized so much for how we cope. Yeah. Like there's no fixing it. The thing that uh since reading your story and reaching out to you right. and following you on social media I I've never wanted to chew out so many like I mean this whole like if you read the backlash on Twitter mm-hmm. these people their their number one defense of Nick Carter is mm-hmm. he's a backstreet boy like that's actually the defense is I love Nick Carter because he's in this band and he's a sensitive guy and he would never do it and it's like, are you fucking stupid? Like, it's insane. Like, it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a prepackaged boy band. Like, you don't know. Like, that's the thing I think. You don't know him. Right. You don't know who he is. You don't know how he behaves. You see him on stage for two hours singing quick, playing games with my heart. Mm-hmm. And you're forming a judgment of this guy. Meanwhile, this woman is coming forward for no, like, there's no positives out of coming forward. No. She's telling you what this guy did to him. And you have the fucking audacity on social media to rip her because you love the Backstreet Boys? Are you fucking kidding? Like, this is, that's literally what I just said to my wife the other day. It's unbelievable how awful people are. It's, and that's abusive. Oh. I mean, that's abuse. I don't know if people realize that, but I mean, and again, I'm not trying to... This wasn't about him. Mm-hmm. It was about me. It was about me taking care of myself and doing what was right for me. Now, why did you feel like you had to name it in the blog post? And was um, there a debate over that at all? No, I I was t- I wanted to label it. I was tired of hiding it. Right. You know, I didn't want to... It's like a secret you're just carrying around with you. A really horrible, horrible secret. Right. And, uh, and, you know, I had seen what all these other brave women, they were all doing it. And it was inspiring for me to go, wait a minute, I, I don't have to be scared. Like... What happened to me wasn't my fault. It's not my story, it's his. So I don't have to carry it. So for, it, it was for me kind of not owning it. Like we, we as survivors of abuse, a lot of times we, we own it. We carry it right. because it's so, sh- we feel so much shame. It's just, we feel shame. Uh, I wish people would understand that. Like, I mean, it wasn't our fault. Right. You know? But does it, does this work? Like, um, you hear different survivors of sexual assault talk, mm-hmm. and they'll say, like, I did so-and-so. I wrote a blog post, mm-hmm. or I confronted my attacker, or whatever, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to own it anymore, right? right? Or because it shouldn't be mine to own. Yeah. And people clap and say, oh, that's great, and then, you know, we'll be back, and blah, blah, blah. Like, right. but does it actually work? Like, did writing that blog post, and, you know, talking about it, does it work? Or is this... You're going to be 80 years old still carrying this... No. I will not be carrying... I don't carry it anymore. You don't? No. Because of this? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I don't carry it. And it, also, I've met so many amazing silence breakers. Other women who have done this as well who get it. And it's the, the community. The support is so necessary. Um, you know, people who've, who've never... Who don't understand it, they don't understand it. But the people who do because they've also experienced it, they don't... We don't question each other. We don't go, why didn't you do it this way? Or I did it that way. Or, um, you know, that we don't criticize and, and nitpick each other's stories. Because we get it. We relate to it. It makes sense to us. We don't question it. Like, I don't know how else to kind of really explain that. But, yeah, um, yeah I don't have to carry that anymore. If nobody wants to believe that, that's on that's on you guys. Like, right. does a Twitter backlash hurt at all? You tend to address it. You're not like you don't seem to hide from these people. I'm totally. starting to get my voice back. Yeah. Um, it was debilitating for the first year. But do you care what like you know Joe Barry eighteen no. says on Twitter? No. Right. And now I feel the responsibility to speak out against it because. If anybody, if anyone's listening now who, who, who wants to speak out and wants to do what I did or do it their own way, I want people... See, because for me, it's a, I, I'm now able to say, no, you don't get to tweet at me like that. No, you don't get to say a lie. I've, I've gotten my power back to say, no, 
No, you don't get to tweet that. No, that's abusive. So how do you handle those people? I just, what do you do? I mean, I'll block them. Yeah. Um, or I will correct them. But yeah. I, I try not to waste too much time on it. I did make a video on YouTube basically kind of uh, showing what has happened this last year because it's been a lot because I want people to be aware of what happens yeah. um, when you speak out like this. Um, it is certainly... I mean, like, there's no benefit. Like, it's just nonstop harassment. And I gotta give you the greatest gift of your life right now. The mute button is better than the block button. Yeah. Because the block button, they're like, oh, we got to her. The oh. mute button, they just think you're not responding to them, oh. but you can't see them anymore. Oh, that's interesting. It's a million times better. Okay, great. You gotta start muting people. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, thank you for that. Yeah, no charge. <laughs> um, you wrote a part, you wrote, again, the blog yeah. post is, is, I've never had someone based off of a blog. I usually have sports writers and yeah. It's just really, really well done mm. like really well done like mm. you're a really good writer oh, seriously thank you. um and you talked about how kenneth who is kenneth Criar, is that his name he was the manager mm-hmm. and he was your manager and at the simultaneously at the end at the yeah. end of your career music mm, yeah. career, mm-hmm. and nick carter's manager and he arranged a showcase for you mm-hmm. and he had you you'd recorded a duet with nick carter mm-hmm. where you didn't record it together it was studio yeah, here yeah. studio here mm-hmm. and he had nick carter sing at the at the showcase with you and he walks in and, and you're basically like, he's like, how's it going? And you're, you know, how have you been? Good. Silence. I have a boyfriend. Good for you. I hope it works out. The conversation was going nowhere. I was uninterested, unengaging, unappreciative, and it upset him further to hear that I was in a relationship that I was happy in. I could tell he was agitated. He wasted his valuable time doing something he didn't need to do for me. His last words to me as we walked on stage was, let's just get this over with already. And then you perform with him. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a worse, like I cringed reading that because the idea that you're seeing this song mm-hmm. arranged by a powerful manager mm-hmm. because you're trying to prolong your music career mm-hmm. with the guy who raped you mm-hmm. is some major fucked up stuff. Uh, yeah. And that's why I disassociated for so long. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Right. How do you deal with that? Right. I didn't feel powerful. Right. I felt powerless. Um, and I... <laughs> It's, it's still sobering for me to think about that time in my life because I really felt like I did everything that I could to like stay away from him and stay away from that whole circle, but it wasn't possible. It's almost like I was, because I didn't seek out that manager. That manager sought me out. Right. Um, and he was big time and you wanted yes. your career like you well, needed and, your- I, and I knew him previously from being in the group uh-huh. um, and it was him and uh, he had his, a firm with, with Johnny Wright so it was him and Johnny who are I mean arguably like the biggest music managers in the business especially at the time um, I was trying to make smart business I was trying to be business right. minded and it's it's just so difficult like also why should you not be allowed <sighs> To pursue your career right. because dickhead raped. You know what I mean? Like right. that's, like yeah. Then it's you tiptoeing around mm-hmm. when you didn't do anything wrong. Right, right. Um, but again, like this is what happens with victims of any kind of abuse. Like we get, we're the ones that get blamed right. for not doing stuff. You know, I guess not being the perfect victim, not handling it the right way. Like I don't know. It's. It's still really hard for me to even reflect on that time. And I, it wasn't even clear to me just how traumatic that was for me. Because, yeah, it was, it was not the best time of my life. Yeah. For sure. I wasn't even making music that I liked. I'm like, really? no. Right. No. No. I was just, at that point, trying to survive. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with Olympic volleyball player Beverly Oden. Now, Bev, when we first met 22 years ago, you promised me your Olympic ring and your Olympic watch should I offer you something of excessive value. That is factually untrue. I know, but but for this advertisement, can you just pretend? All right, sure. All right, so I offered you a new car, and you said no. I've offered you a trip to Hawaii, and you said no. I offered you a chance to meet former United States Senator Max Cleland, and you said no. You know Max Cleland? Uh, No, I just offered it. Okay. Well, here's my final offer. I talked to my friends at 503 Sports, and they said they'll make you a handcrafted, one-of-a-kind Doug Williams Oklahoma Outlaws USFL jersey with the stitched numbers and the letters just like the pros wore. 
Wait, your kid's wearing that same jersey right now. No, he's not. I see him right there. Emmett, what are you wearing? A Doug Williams Oklahoma Outlaws jersey from 503 Sports. All right, I'll take this deal. But you have to throw in all the medals you won running cross country at Delaware. That would definitely not be hard. You know what? The goods at 503 Sports are worth 100 gold medals. Why? Because they're, they're throwback sports merchandise of the highest quality. We're talking USFL, World Football League, XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State. Or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Doug Woodward Boston Breakers jersey, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like Beverly Odin and visit 503-sports.com. You're not getting my stuff. I know. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. This is yeah. slightly off subject. I ever say to my uh, my kids when we hear like a instinct song or mm-hmm. whether the people in boy bands and girl bands like Dream actually like the music they're making. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I'm sure a lot of you grew up listening to like Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. and you know, and you're singing pop, not that anything's wrong with pop. Right, right. But I do always I've always like like yeah. you're in Dream. Do you like the music of Dream when you're making it? I did oh, when I was a kid. Right. Um but I came from musical theater. Right. I mean, that's my dream was to be like in Les Mis, and uh, I loved Miss Saigon. Um, I didn't really listen to pop music like that. Right. I listened to Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. Um, that was pretty much it. Like right. I wasn't like a, a huge pop fan. Okay, because Paula Abdul, I listened to her as well. So a lot of female female artists. Um, but I was fully like. I, I when I was when I was younger I thought that I was gonna go to NYU or Juilliard and I was gonna be on Broadway. Like I never ever imagined ever being a recording artist. Ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You had a really fascinating All right, so I said I told you before we started, I'm reading this book called Fame mm-hmm. by Justine Bateman. And I was telling right. you it's really it's a it's a I'm almost done with it. I'm almost, mm-hmm. I'm gonna send you this book when I'm done okay. with it, if that's okay, okay. with you. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just an indictment of fame. Okay. And what she talks about repeatedly is like if you were to sum it in a sense, it's famous bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fake and it's fleeting, but it sticks with you in horrible ways at the same time. Uh-huh. So you you started in Dream when you were 15? I how was it, 12, 13. And you were plucked for Dream. Like, how did you actually... Because you didn't know the other three girls, right? No, I knew of Holly, okay. which is kind of funny. Um, but no, I did not know... And it actually wasn't Diana. It was another um, young lady by the name of Alex Chester, actually, who was originally in Dream before Diana. Um, and, you know, Alex actually wrote a piece, um, which I highly recommend that people read, um, about her experience because she ended up... I think not, I read this, actually. Yeah, okay. she ended up uh, leaving the group. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so originally it, it started with an open call. Uh, we were... Like, do you see an ad somewhere? Like... No, I was actually referred by my uh, my vocal coach, okay. Michael Sarder. Okay. Um, You're 12 years old. Late, Mark, Michael Sarder, yeah. Um, 12 years old, yeah, I just got, basically, Michael called my mom and said, you know, this woman is looking, you know, asking for, like, my best students, because they're putting together a girl group, and, you know... I give her your information. So I ended up going and there was like, God, hundreds of people there of all ages. It was in California. It was in California. It was here in LA. And uh, it was basically what they would call a cattle fall. Yeah. Like there's just everybody there. And uh, I went. Do you actually remember this? Can you picture this in your head? Oh yeah. No, totally. Uh Um, And, uh, and I did my, my little dance and I, and I sang and then I got chosen me and four other girls. There was five of us originally. Um, we are called first first warning. Mm-hmm. The fifth girl, I don't remember her name, uh, but she ended up backing out, and I don't know why. So then there was just the four of us. Then Alex. Then we ended up getting shopped to another production company, and then that's how we became Dream. And then Alex was gone, and then Diana was a, went to school with Holly, and that's how we found Diana. And then that's dream did you drop out of school no no you weren't homeschooled you were never homeschooled oh we were like yeah we were like homeschooled we had a tutor right but what i'm saying is like you were at the time Mm -hmm. you were 12 years old you were in middle school uh yeah yeah i was end of eighth grade okay so then for high school you were homeschooled yeah high school was all on the road yeah I was on... What a freaking crazy lifestyle. Yeah. Like, what a weird life transition. Oh, no, it's totally weird. Right. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I don't know, like... 
Right, so you're looking back now. Yeah. Was it fun? Was it nightmares? Was it great? Was it terrible? There, was was, it... there were things that I love about it. I mean, I still, I love performing. I mean, I'm a performer. It's what I what I do. It's my identity. I, I mean, it's my heart. Uh-huh. Um, so I love performing. It was a lot of the behind-the-scenes crap that wasn't so great. Um, it's what it took to kind of get there. Um, like, what a... What do you mean by that? Like, what are the behind-the-scenes crap of being in a boy group or a girl group? Or I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but, I mean, just making the record, you know, working with certain producers, um, it was less than... It was not a good experience. It, it essentially shaped how I respond in the recording studio for the rest of my life. I mean, again, I, I have PTSD with that. I mean, I had a manager a couple years ago that... You know, had I went to the recording studio and she's like, "What happened to you? What, what's going on?" And I didn't even know that she noticed because no one's ever said anything or noticed it. She's uh-huh. like, "You're just not yourself." It's like because I, I shut down. I shut down in the recording studio, and I'm trying to overcome that. Um, I'm I'm currently working on that because I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be able to express myself and make music and uh-huh. do what I love. But um, yeah, there was aspects uh, that were great, and there were aspects not so much. Right. Um, being away from my family as much as I was at such a young age, that was difficult. Um, How old were you when you started actually touring? Mm, you hit the road. 15? Yeah. Yeah, I was 15. And that's when I met my husband initially. That's crazy, when you yeah. were 15 years old. Mm-hmm. It was on uh, Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again tour. So you were opening for Britney Spears? Yes, we were on the B stage. We weren't even on the main stage at that point. I didn't know there was a B stage. Yeah. There was a B stage on the Britney Spears tour? Yes. Most, most. I mean, I don't know how it is now, uh-huh. but back then there was always a B stage. Wait, so she'd be performing on this big on stage? On the main stage. And there'd be a B stage, like, off to the side as people were walking in. Oh, got so it. So it's like you kind of pay your dues on the B stage uh-huh. to get on the main stage. And was that fun? I mean, oh, was we it? We had fun, yeah. but we we were kids, so we would we would be all goofy. Like when we did our soundtrack, I remember one time we were, I don't know where we were, but the B stage was like surrounded by trees. So like, who would even know that this B stage even existed? Right. So we would like get on the mic during soundtrack and like sing like in the jungle, like trying to get people to like come to the B stage, oh, like make noise. So, I mean, we had a good time, like between the four of us, you know, it was, it was wonderful. They were my sisters, you right. know, but uh, other people that we were working with, not so great. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember, um. The adults, not. Not so good. Yeah. What do you feel like, like there are a few interesting things. So I was, I was, again, I was reading up on you. I was reading up on Dream. Mm-hmm. I've been reading about fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually I just did a, uh. I do a weekly Q and A on my website, and mm-hmm. I did the woman, the woman who won the first America's Next Top Model. Mm-hmm. She ended up marrying Peter Brady, the guy who plays yeah, Peter Brady, Adrian Curry. Curry. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was talking about fame. Yeah, and she was talking about the way young girls, in particular, are treated. Mm-hmm. She said over-sexualized. Oh yeah, which you can see with Dream, like you can see, like they were trying to push you a certain way. Oh yeah, and you weren't even close to legal. No, right? Yeah, are you aware of that at the time? Uh, I was, I think, to a certain extent in feeling like that was my only value. Right. It was communicated to me that that was my role. What do you mean? My role was to be the blonde showing off, you know, with the big boobs and showing off her stomach. I knew what it was. Right. That was, that was all they would let me be. That wasn't who I really was. Right. That's all, that was my role. It was, we were all given our individual roles. Diana was the dancer. Ashley was like the sporty one. And then Holly was given uh, the platform as lead singer. Right. That was all, that was, we had no control over any of that. So interesting. Yeah. And so for me, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm a Christian. Right. I was a Christian back then. You never know based right. on a lot of people would be like, well, I've cursed a lot in front of you today. I'm it's sorry. A, no, 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 it's <laughs> fine. I, cur- I mean, I cursed. I have heard you curse us. Yeah, so I no, I curse. Right. <laughs> um, but um, I'm not perfect. When right. I say I'm a Christian, I'm not saying I'm perfect. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay? So, um, uh, I'm a Christian because I'm not perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it didn't align with my values. But you know, that's again, like, what do you do? Yeah. Like, you know, as a kid, you know, it was, it was that that was my role. Do you find did you find fame when you were younger at all intoxicating? No. Never. The, fr- the first year was fun, and then it was horrible. Signing autographs, being recognized. Um, MTV, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
No, the first year was, I mean, it's fun because it's like a whirlwind, but I don't know how people live in a bubble like that. Like, it's like, and I almost feel like people who are famous and continue to remain famous, they have to almost believe the illusion themselves. Right. Because it's an illusion. Right. Nobody who's famous really is who they perceive, like give, give off to the world. Right. Of course. Like you weren't the big breasted blonde girl and like that's. It was a character for right. me. Yeah. It was like a Spice Girl. Yeah. Like they're all, you know, yeah. sporty Spice or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that maybe later I'd be seen for who I really was, that the opportunity would happen and I could evolve away from it. Um, I certainly didn't think I was going to, like, that's that's who I was for the rest of my life, you know? Like, um, but again, I was a child. Right. <laughs> How could I have the foreknowledge? Well, do you feel like fame, once you're defined you're defined like is it could you have been like to hell a dream I'm going on my own acoustic I'm going to do my own acoustic right, tour right would people be like no that's not who you're You're. yeah well that's rebranding I mean right. it's all marketing right yeah. so it's like yeah I would have totally no, I don't think people would have embraced that it would have been weird and right. been like what who, who is she trying to be right um, and I and I did find that you know it's so funny like once I left the group and I was trying to do my own stuff, I ended up working with a lot of people that liked the persona and dream. They wanted to continue to push that. And when I did my solo stuff, that was the kind of stuff people wanted to bring to me. Right. Was this over-sexualized, all about sex, even though I was a virgin. Right. And I was also very, but people don't realize that behind the scenes, like a lot of people didn't like to work with me because I wasn't willing to participate in a lot of the things that other people were willing to participate. Right. I, I wasn't willing to sleep with people. Right. Um, I wasn't me. It didn't align with my morals. It's like, okay, if you want me to be a certain way as a character, like what I do in Dream, I mean, that's one thing, but that didn't reflect me personally. Right. So, but then a lot of people, I, I would find like, I, you know, I'd meet them and they would expect me to be that sort of persona and then they would get frustrated right. knowing that it's actually not the case. Right. And right. I was very resistant right. and very vocal and I know that annoyed a lot of people. Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this whole kind of idea of like, you're a fame whore, you want this, you want yeah, right. that. No, I mean... If, if, if that was truly in my character, I, I had that available to me had I chosen to live that way. Right. But my integrity means more to me than anything. I always say to my wife, the best kind of fame in the world is author fame, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a book come out every two years. Mm -hmm. You do PR for a month. Mm -hmm. You're on TV. You talk yeah. about it, blah, blah, blah. And then you leave. And then you leave. Yeah. And nobody recognizes yeah. you. Nobody yeah. knows who you are. Yeah. You're just a name. Yeah. My dream is like... We'd love to just be a working actor that nobody recognizes. Right. You know? Right. You could just do what you love and and still be able to live a normal life. I just can't, couldn't imagine what it's like for some of these other people, like, not being able to go to Disneyland and be normal. And, I mean, people don't realize that when you're famous, you're robbed of a lot of the little things that we take for granted. Right. You know? Um, and then people never want to hear you complain about it. That's the other thing. If you're famous, mm. nobody wants to hear you whining about being famous. Mm. Like, oh, poor you. you know, blah 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 blah. You make ten million. No, I'm just, nobody right. wants to hear you complain. About Anyone being complain? Famous? Nobody wants it. Mm. I think it's a very fair complaint. Right. I'm just saying people don't want to hear. It, yeah. You know, because so, so many people aspire to the fame that people then. It's so crazy to me. There's nothing to aspire. It's horrible. People need to understand. It's horrible. Right. It's horrible. Right. Do what you find something that you love and do it. Like I, I'm to a place where it's like I love sketch comedy and I love improv. Right. Um, I just want to be able to do what I love. Right. Period. Like be able to pay my bills, do what I love, spend time with my family and friends. Like that. That's everything. I don't know what people think fame does. It doesn't bring you real people, like good people in your life. It attracts leeches, people who want to like they like feed off of you they're like like parasites right. fame attracts parasites right. you will have people weaseling into your life trying to dictate your life uh, uh, gossiping about you acting like they're your friend when they're not right. selling stories to people I mean it's horrible the, to me classic fame is 
Hey, you look great. You walk away. She gained weight. Yeah. Right? That's, oh, my God. That's fame. God, yeah. she gained weight. Right? Yeah. There's no honesty. There's no truth in it. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Um, you know what the worst is? I got to say, I it's so cliche. But out here is really like, um, I've had different books options. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, it's great. We love it. We already know who's going to play so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm never get another call like repeatedly that's like a oh we already blah blah everything's great it's the best everything you do is the best everything's the best and then yeah. you never hear a thing again, of course you know, right? yeah 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 <laughs> I find that when you get more negative feedback you're actually dealing you're making more progress yeah probably probably <laughs> in LA yeah right. if you actually get negative feedback it's like oh okay as opposed to no it's great that's like it's really bad because right. they don't even want to tell you the truth right I'm gonna throw a weird one at you yeah we're gonna take go full circle here yeah because I started with this Was it bad that I took my daughter to a Backstreet Boy concert? Mm, I don't want to comment on that. Yeah. Yeah. But what I mean is like, I'll, I'll actually ask a totally okay. different question. Yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. Okay. Like Judge Kavanaugh gets in the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and he makes the argument or someone could, would make the argument. I was all, he was 17 years old, blah, blah, blah. He was a kid or so-and-so did it a long time ago. We need, you need to forgive. You need to move on. You know, I'm not saying you, I'm saying society. We need to like, let this guy live his life. Let this guy live his life. Why can't they live their life? I think people should put their money where spend their money however they choose. Yeah. If somebody chooses to spend money on that, they have a right to do that. Yeah. But I also have a right to tell the world what happened. Right. I'm not responsible for how people respond to my story. So is it bad? I'm not making that judgment. To me, I that's not for me to judge. And I'm not concerned about that. I'm more concerned with, you know, everyone should be responsible for their own choices. If somebody chooses to continue to put money there after knowing what I've kind of put out, then, I mean, that's their responsibility. They, it's for them to decide whether or not it's bad. Right. Or if it's good. Right. You know, you'll never see me at a concert. Right. <laughs> Wasn't that good anyway? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um do you overall, overall now looking back, you're removed. Are you happy you wrote this? Yes. You are. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think you should be too. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I love this blog post. Oh, I really do. I swear to God. It was really eye-opening. I thought it was really well done. I think it's important. To well, freaking... I took a lot of time, obviously, with Clearly. it. Because you're, I'm obviously dealing with something non-fiction. I wanted to make sure that everything that I wrote was something that I vividly remembered. Right. Nothing in this is zhuzhed up right. like this is what I remember you just invented a word zhuzhed is that a word <laughs> I think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think so right but I'll claim it yeah zhuzhed it's all yours <laughs> um yeah I just uh I think ultimately uh brave honesty it kind of wins out you know ultimately it wins out one way oh I did I ask you did he ever no response? To me directly? Yeah, no. No, yeah. and I don't want him to. Yeah. Just so you know, every single time, and I, I didn't want to say this because, you know, I mean, well, like, the name makes me cringe. Yeah, Like, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like... Right, you don't noth- want... Nothing about... This guy. This person is enticing to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why it would be. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. <laughs> um... Well, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. You came to Orange. Yeah. You got a decent breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> you got some free Smarties yeah. from the Halloween stash. Um, and I'm glad that I got to talk about this because, I mean, this is actually not an uncommon thing that a lot of the other silence breakers, I was at the uh, Power Woman Summit this last this last week, and a lot of them were saying that they did the same thing. They ended up writing. It starts with writing. Yeah. Um, people don't have to write it and release it. Just write it for yourself. Um, but it was very cathartic. It's a way to get it out, um, and then you know, do what's what's best what's best for you. Not not all of us are rich, are able to do this publicly, but um, I always feel like I always want to say to people like, like I'm embarrassed to be a man in 2018 in many mm-hmm. ways. Like I just find it so, like women don't do this to men. Mm-hmm. I mean, on very very rare maybe, occasion, maybe some on very rare yeah. occasion, but like. There's something about, it's like embarrassing, you know, and like, you almost want to say, 
No, there are really good guys out there. I swear, there are good yeah, guys out there's, there. There's women that support men like I know. this too. I know. And, you you know, see them on social media. Yeah, yeah, because they because they get power from it. If right. you think like they get power like there's just there's some women that identify with powerful men and they like that sort of um, traditional is that what it is yeah I think that there's a there's something about there's some women I feel like that put men on pedestals that they themselves are misogynist like they it's not just men it's also the women that are like that as well. So and weird. They, and they don't, a lot of women, not, I don't say a lot, but there are many women that will not side with other women. Or they'll say that they're feminists, or they say that they're with women, but they're not. I guess um, you've seen that a lot. I've always been about women. Like, I think, I'm, for me, I, I'm the oldest of five girls in my family. Oh, wow. I was in a girl group with women. Uh-huh. I um, had to learn within my group not to be competitive. So I'm really not competitive with women at all, yeah. but I know that over overarching, it's it's a problem that we have just amongst just a, being a woman, you know, with with each other. And I feel like we're overcoming that. We're we're coming together just with the Me Too movement and finding this sort of common ground because uh, I don't know. I just feel like the way that society is, we're kind of pinned against each other sp- specifically, you know, like because it's all. The men have the power. Like, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that I yeah. really believe. So, uh, my mom was a probation officer in New York, mm-hmm. and she uh, was passed over repeatedly for promotions. And she mm. wound up, she wound up suing Putnam County, New York. Wow! And it was a huge deal, and it was in the newspapers, and it was really embarrassing for her, mm-hmm. and it was hard to go through, and mm-hmm. she was ostracized. And I was about the same age as your son mm. is now. Your son is eight, you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I look back at what my mom did as a, as a guy mm-hmm. with incredible pride, mm. you know, and just admiration. Mm. And I am 100% certain that your son, <laughs> when he's older, will look back at his mom. I hope so. And think the same thing. Like, I she really know. fucking stood up when, I don't mean to curse, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but she okay. really took a stand yeah. when it would have been a lot easier not to. And mm. I think that's a far better legacy than I was in a girl group or yeah. this or that or like that your kid can look back at your life yeah. and see it as sort of a role model I way hope, to be. I hope so. Yeah. And I hope that moving forward like I want to continue to inspire and encourage people and I want to be a source of like goodness and like comfort and like I want to help people. Right. I mean more than anything that's what I want to do. I want to thank today's guest Melissa Schumann for driving down to Orange and joining me on True Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Melissa on Twitter at Melissa Schumann and read her blog at MelissaExplainsItAll.com This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com My still newest book, Football for a Buck The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL is available everywhere. One can listen to Two Riders Singing Yang on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and your views are truly appreciated. Music today is by Dream. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.